Hey, theater people, Patrick here. Just a few items of business before we get to the show. First, at long last, Theater People is becoming a weekly podcast. That's right. Every Monday morning at 7 a.m., you can expect a new episode from us to appear in your podcast feed. Going weekly means that in addition to bringing you our usual interviews with Tony winners, Broadway legends, and today's brightest theater stars, we'll now have the opportunity to create episodes around costume designers, lighting designers, performers and creatives from the off-Broadway scene, and more. Are you as excited about this as we are? If so, consider reviewing our podcast on iTunes. It helps our ranking, it helps other theater people find us, and it really does mean the world to Mike and me to hear what you have to say about our show. Thanks, theater people, and get ready for twice as many episodes. Also, we are just about a month away from the first edition of our live summer series. You guys, Queen Leslie Margarita herself will be joining us as our guest for the show on May 8th at Pearl Studios, and there are only 15 tickets left. She and I will chat about everything from Dames at Sea to her recently published book to, you know, whatever. Nothing is off limits. Tomfoolery will ensue. She'll perform a song or two with our live accompanist, and then she'll take questions from the audience. Time permitting, she'll even stick around after to say hello. Leslie goes on at 6, but the doors open at 5 p.m. for our pre-show party, and we're hoping that you'll join producer Mike and me and some of our fabulous Broadway friends as we hang out, listen to music, and get excited for the show together. You can find links to purchase tickets at our website, www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L dot com, and click on the Summer Series tab. So go get your tickets, theater people, and join us. Okay, now to the show. Yeah. I'm Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm Celia Keenan-Bolter. This is Queen Leslie. I'm Robin DeJesus. I'm Aaron Davey. Hi, this is Ellen Marie Marsh. I'm LaShawn. I'm Telly Leung. Hi, I'm Eden Espinosa. I'm Laura Osnes. I'm Katie Finnerin. Hi, I'm Tanya Pinkins. I'm Karen Olivo, and you're listening to the Theatre People Podcast. Welcome to the Theatre People Podcast. I'm Patrick Hines, your host. You guys, we are so excited to welcome choreographer Spencer Liff to the podcast this week. Like a lot of people, I first became aware of Spencer for his Emmy-nominated work as a choreographer on the hit TV show So You Think You Can Dance, but I had no idea he's totally a Broadway guy. He made his Broadway debut at age 11 in the musical Big. He went on to appear in The Wedding Singer, Cry Baby, Equus, and 9 to 5, taking on more and more responsibility along the way. He was the associate choreographer and dance captain for Cry Baby, and he was the dance captain for Equus. After hitting it big on So You Think You Can Dance, he came back to Broadway to provide the musical staging for the Neil Patrick Harris-led Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and was then hired to choreograph the beautiful Deaf West production of Spring Awakening, which ultimately transferred to Broadway earlier this season. He was recently tapped by James Lapine himself to choreograph the upcoming revival of the much-loved musical Falsettos. Just a note, we'll be using a little bit of music from the original Broadway production of Spring Awakening for this episode. It was such a delight to spend a Sunday morning chatting with this guy. Here's our conversation. Hi, Spencer Lev. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm... Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the Theater People Podcast. Thank you so much. It's freezing in this room, I was just saying. So if my teeth start to chatter, that's what that noise is. <laughs> it's good. It's gotten winter again just for the weekend. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, we were chatting just before we started. You were starting to tell me about this like really fascinating workshop that you're a part of. Will you, will you tell us? Yeah, I'm, I'm back in New York right now doing a workshop called The View Upstairs. Um, it's very cool to be part of the, you know, the very beginning processes of a new musical. But uh, it's based on a very uh, un- swept under the rug event 
of the burning, the arson of a gay bar in uh, New Orleans in 1973. And it's the largest massacre in LGBT history, but nobody ever, you know, hears of it, knows of it. Uh, and if they do, it's very little. So sort of exploring in a time travel sort of way the differences between the LGBT community in 1973 and today and, you know, what we've gained and lost by equality, uh, you know, so it's using that as a backdrop, that that not so pleasant event to sort of take a look at, at our journey and where we've come. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful show written by Max Vernon. Um, so, so yeah, that's what I'm, I'm back in New York for right now. And we're in a three-week workshop at Pearl Studios. Oh, fun! <laughs> it, you know, the usual listeners of the podcast know that I'm like a gay history nerd. So I'm kind of aware of that story. And they made a documentary of it, I think, that came out a year ago. There, Yeah, there's a documentary. There's a couple books that have been written, um, you know... It, 41, I believe, 41 people died in that fire. And it's a, it, it just was at a time when there wasn't an, the internet and it showed up on like the fourth page of the newspaper on the first day and then just sort of disappeared into oblivion. So it's it's really cool that we're exploring some of these real real characters are, are coming to life in this musical. That's so exciting. Congratulations on, on that. So let's let's go back to the very beginning. Did you grow up in New York City? I moved here when I was 10 years old uh, to do Big the Musical. Right. That okay. Was, it was my Broadway debut. I had actually been on a national tour before that. I went on the Will Rogers Follies tour, the first national when I was seven. Toured for about a year. You know, got to work with Tommy Toon as my first yeah. ever director. So it was sort of jumping into the deep end. Uh, and I lived in L.A. for a little bit and then booked Big and moved here and fell in love with New York. And... Uh, I lived here with my mom and my brother in a studio apartment on 46th Street between 9th and 10th, which was a very different neighborhood back then. Yeah. And I walked to the Stewart Theater every every night and did my show, and uh, and I, I fell in love with it. So I, I stayed here for 17 years and uh, had been finally going back and forth between L.A. again for So You Think You Can Dance and, you know, for, for some other projects. And I... I realized that I, I kind of wanted a break from the city, and I made the move to L.A. three years ago. But, of course, now I come back. <laughs> well, about, you're like in demand. I come back for about six months out of every year. Uh, and I'm, I'm finally at the place now where I'm truly understanding the, the beauty of being bi-coastal and spending a split amount of time. And what both, what both coasts offer is so different and so great for your soul. So I'm, I'm kind of getting into this groove now. Can I ask you about that tour you did when you were seven? Yeah. Of... of um, uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of it. Will Rogers Follies. Katie Huffman was our first ever guest on the podcast. Um, and I'm so fat. Do you have memories of, of doing that show when you were seven? Oh, totally. You do? Totally. I mean, I remember auditioning for it. I, uh, I had seen theater. My parents loved theater, so they took me when I was really young. Like four years old, I started going. I saw Cats with my dad when I was really young, I, you know. Uh, and that... That just made me want to dance. My mom found a studio for me. We're from Arizona. I'm from a tiny town in Arizona, Sedona. Um, and, and so I I made up my own routine to I Can Do That from a chorus line. I waited in a line around the block at the Palace Theater to audition for Tommy Toon. And they they had a callback and then offered me the job. And it was totally out of left field. So I, I remember all that. I remember the rehearsal process. Um I remember Sutton Foster was a chorus girl. She was 17 years old. No way. And, uh, you know, so I, I remember getting to work with her and uh, and all all the incredible talent that was on, on stage there. I actually see them all the time now, that cast, and 
it's, I think, trippy for them to, to know the little seven-year-old that has grown <laughs> up. Um, but it was incredible. We were at a different city every, every week. Um, in a very cool full-circle moment, we made the, the show open to the Golden Gate Theater in San Francisco in 1991 or two. Um, and now my first ever national tour as a choreographer is Hedwig, and Hedwig is opening at the Golden Gate Theater in San Francisco oh, wow. this, later this year. So I'm, I'm having uh, – that will be a very, very cool moment to sort of have, have that go back to that theater. But, um, but that yeah, is cool. so cool. I'm so interested because now you're such a, like a successful and well-known choreographer. If you had any inklings of that back in the day when you were working with Tommy Toon. Like, do you I, have those thoughts when you're seven? You, I would redo the numbers, not necessarily in Will Rogers. Um, but when I was, when I was in big, I would look at, you know, that was an original show. So we changed numbers constantly. We would learn new productions, every uh, production numbers every single day. And I would always think what I would do with it. Like if I was in charge, I would, I would, push the set pieces around here and I would put this number here and and I think those that was the beginning and and then I used to be very pattern oriented and I would sit in the backyard in Arizona and play with rocks and align them in formations and cast them essentially and put the the rocks exactly how I wanted them and I would I would weave them in and out and I had no idea that that was my brain charting numbers but just very very young oh wow so I think it's always been in there and I, just because I got to work with Every incredible Broadway choreographer and director growing up in my performing career, I would I watched and, and found what I loved about all of them, what I didn't like about all of them, and, and was very early on adapting who I wanted to be as, as a choreographer. I'm interested in your Broadway career because I was looking at your credits and you, you started out as a performer and you stayed a performer, but you sort of took on more responsibility as you went Right, sort of culminating in in being the associate choreographer uh, in in for Crybaby. Is that right? Yeah, that was the first time I had met Rob Ashford and absolutely loved how he worked and loved his style. And um, we had done the Wedding Singer together. It was our first show. I think it was about twenty. And uh, his normal associate had sort of moved on to go do her own stuff. And I I asked. I said, I want to assist you on the workshop of Crybaby. I think it was at that time. And uh, yeah, so I that was that was the early stages. I was the associate on Crybaby, and when we we did Brigadoon uh, on Equus, and so I would dance captain. I would assist and I would associate. But, but funny enough, the very first thing that I really ever did as my own choreographer was on So You Think You Can Dance, which is crazy to really? jump onto that platform on such a such a high platform. I was 23 years old. I was the youngest choreographer that had not previously been a contestant that has ever been on that show, and. Uh, that was from just making. I made an audition reel and sent it in, and had meetings with the producers, and they gave me a shot, but. But yeah, I, I, uh, being a dance captain is really hard on on Broadway. It's a it's a tough job. You're at the theater like twenty four seven, and uh, but it taught me so much about uh, about charting and making the Bible for the show and how to give notes and how to talk to other actors who are all older than me. Um, right. So it was you know it was and I find that situation a lot now. A lot of people I work with are older than me, and you have to have a position of authority and get them to trust you and respect you and and create your vision. So I learned all those skills in my in my dance captaining associate years. Yeah. So what was it that made you... Was it from New York that you sent that reel to the producers of So You Think You Could Dance, or did you make the decision to go to L.A. and, and try to break into the business there? I was in L.A. being the associate on the Oscars with Rob Ashford. We did a big number with Hugh Jackman and Beyonce in, like, 2009, I think. So I was there for about a month or two, and my, my agent had one shot to get someone in for a meeting with So You Think, which was in its fifth season at the time, which was, like, the peak of... Yeah. And it was peaking at that time. I love to know the shorthand name that you guys call it. Oh, so, so you think. think. Oh. I love it. Yeah, sometimes you just call it dance, <laughs> so you think. I mean, it's easier than going like SYT by CD. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. But, uh, 
but yeah, so I went in and I, I met them and I had a lot of big ideas of, you know, I want to do this number with this music and set it like this. And they, they knew how well I knew the show and, but obviously I was very young. So they said, go home and make a tape for us of what you'd want to do on the show. And I made the investment in myself, which I often give that advice. I took, I knew it was my shot. I took every dollar I had. I hired a film crew. I got the right dancers. I hired an editor. And I put together a package including like the rehearsal package of us talking and the funny bloopers. And and I linked it together with then the final finished product number. And I put the graphics from the show on it. And I did – you know I I went all out and sent it in. And, you know, it cost me, as a Broadway dancer, like everything I had at that time. And I just – I knew that that was my chance. And I I sent it in. It was the end of season five – and of course, you know, I had to wait until season six, didn't know, never heard a response. And then I got a call and they said, you're going to be on this episode. You need to fly to LA. You're on in three days. And <gasps> my heart sunk and it was, you know, uh, that was the start of everything. And funny enough, my first episode was, was horrible. I mean, really, I, it was, they kind of haze you. So I got like the ballroom girl and the guy who could spin on his head, but had never been in a dance class, like the street dancer guy. And I was trying to do this Fosse piece on them and it, it everything about it went wrong. <laughs> and it was really, it was a good learning experience. And, and I I marched myself into the producer's office as soon as the show came down, and I said, "You have to give me another shot. I, I, I gotta, I gotta it's do funny, this again." On the show, they never blame the choreographer. It's always they the dancers. do sometimes. <laughs> but, and this one was just a combination of like, you know, you have to do deal with a lot of time management on that show. People don't understand. We rehearse those numbers in five or six hours, and you have to very quickly know what your contestant can do, know where to put your eggs in, in their basket. But you're also picking your costumes and your light and your hair, your makeup, your camera shots. And until you learn how to do all that, you're a little bit like, you know, out there without a without a, a life preserver. But I learned really fast. I, they let me on the very next episode. I started rehearsal the next morning, and that week I did a great job, and that sort of – Broke me in into it, and I've been on now for seven years, seven, wow. seven seasons of that show, and two Emmy nominations later. That must be yeah. crazy. It w- it's it's very surreal. I mean, when the the first one that happens, because you dream. I dreamt of getting that a nomination for a Tony or an Emmy or an Oscar since I was so young, and we've all practiced the you know, the acceptance speech yeah. holding the the comb in the bathroom, but to actually have that happen and I got woken up at 5 a.m. and and my manager was like you just got nominated for an Emmy and you don't understand it and then I I went to the website and I saw my name and I couldn't stop screaming and <laughs> then the like Fox sends a car for you and they whisk you off to a press thing and it really just feels like this this surreal event um so that's it's very cool going there is very cool and and looking around at the other people that you're there with who are your peers like I'm there with Travis Wall and Sonia and and these people that I respect so much and uh it's that will never that will never get old I hope I get to do it more <laughs> Um well let's talk about the Deaf West production of Spring Awakening Yeah for sure How did you come to be the choreographer for that production Michael Arden and I had known each other for years in in New York we had been friends and I knew how special he was and how special his his mind was was and he moved out to LA around the same time I did and you know there's not there's theater in LA but it's not a ton you sort of have to make your own theater there um excuse me especially if you want to do something new 
So we had done a couple like rogue productions, a very guerrilla style theater. We did a production of La Ronde on the streets of Silver Lake that traveled to 10 different locations. And I mean, it was crazy wow. stuff. So he came to me and he had worked with Def, Def West. I had not. And he basically said, do you want to do something really scary and crazy? And of course I was like, yes, that ticks all my boxes. And, <laughs> uh, and we did a workshop like three years ago and thought we were going to get six songs done and all these scenes. And, you know, we ended up getting two songs done and barely getting through anything. And it was the hardest, it was the hardest experience I'd ever had in a rehearsal room. And the most, I had just no idea how to, how to work in the process and with the interpreters. And it was so new. And, uh, but there, there was these moments of beauty that were created in those first workshops that made everybody excited and, and made everyone want to keep pushing forward. So so we did. The next year we had a black box production and everything went wrong in the world. We lost our space. We lost half our actors. And Michael kept pushing for it to happen and kept pushing us along. And everything on the outside would suck and we would get in the rehearsal room and it would be so hard. But I, I've never been that inspired or fulfilled by a project. And that just kept everyone going. So we opened in this tiny little black box. The LA Times gave us a rave and that was that started everything. We sold that run out. You couldn't get into it. Yeah. And then the Wallace picked us up a few months later and we went to their big beautiful theater and transferred it from what was a very small immersive space to a big football field stadium sized stage. And and it still worked and, and we got more great reviews and sold out there. And I thought that was it. I thought we were done. And a few months, no, sorry, a few weeks after we closed at the Wallace, Michael called me and he said, we just got a Broadway house offer. We're, we're going. In, and I, it, this was in the fall. And I thought, oh, my God, that's great. My, okay, my spring's totally open. He goes, no, we start rehearsal in two weeks. <laughs> and I've, like, never – it was so overwhelming. And, and it basically was like we – Ken Davenport came in and saw it and, and sort of took us on and – we got a lot of offers for 2017, or we could come now. And, you know, I'd never, I don't know if we'll ever know if that was the right decision to, to push in now, but we wanted to keep our cast who had been with us and paid their dues for, you know, a while yeah. during the show. And we were able to take them all to Broadway and, and, and keep our momentum going, and I'm I'm very happy that we that we came in this season as fast as we did, as much as it felt like a whirlwind. Yeah, um, I, I wanted to ask you, and I hope this isn't like a trite question, but we ask actors a lot who like who are doing revivals of roles that were originated by like legendary actors. You know, the original choreography for Spring Awakening was Bill T. Jones, and it's kind of iconic, I think, knowing not much about dance or whatever. But um, I'm just curious how. You know, there was so much more for the – I shouldn't say more. There was a, a much different, I would imagine, undertaking for a Deaf West production. But what what were your thoughts on taking on, you know, a show that had originally been choreographed by such a giant of the theater world? Yeah, I – it's very interesting because I – I saw the show once on Broadway. I saw Spring Awakening one time. I loved it. I loved the choreography. I When I watched it early on, I was like, oh my god, this should totally get nominated for a Tony Award. I didn't know he would win because it's not traditional dance. Yeah. And so it was, it was very cool to watch him to watch him win for what people would not consider normal dance and would consider more movement. Um, uh, and, and then beyond that, when we did the show... We were so far, everything was so different, and the sign language was my m main goal and, and concern, and everything stemmed from that. So I could honestly say that I never once really thought about what was done originally, because 
it wasn't it just wasn't in the in the realm of of where my head needed to be. I never went back and watched clips. I kept myself very separate from it. I did the same thing when I did Hedwig of making sure not to go back and watch clips of John do it originally because I wanted to have my own clear head. So I I just sort of did what I wanted to do, what needed to be done for the show, and I I guess I had in the back of my head that if anything aligned with what was sort of originally done and I came to that in my own terms, then that's what it was meant to be. And um, and it was funny, I never once, there was never a comparison made in any of our journey up to Broadway of the choreography looking the same. So it was interesting to me that like a lot of people in the New York world, and I think because it was here so recently, found the need to compare between Michael's work and my work and what and Michael Mayer's work and Bill T. Yeah. Jones' work. There was a lot more comparison done here than obviously what we had received in L.A. It was all good, but... Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just wasn't, I wasn't scared of it. I had way too much other stuff to think about yeah. to worry about what he did and what I did. Um, but everything he did was very gestural based, and obviously that's what we had to work with as well. So I think that's where the similarities came from. In addition to working with sign language, which I'm assuming was a first in your career, yeah. Yeah. you were working with who became Broadway's first ever actress in a wheelchair, Ali Stroker. And can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I I will talk about that. And then I have a, a quick story of Please. something that happened recently. But um, Ali is one of the best people you'll ever meet. Everyone knows her. You've never met anyone that is like, oh, I worked with Allie here. I'm like, I swear she's like 90 <laughs> years old because the life she's lived. And, and you know, she's constantly pushing, pushing boundaries, but she's very, she's much more aware of her capabilities than I was at the beginning. We had a conversation on the very first day and I said, hey, this is totally new for me. Never choreographed for someone in a chair. Um, she showed me a lot of videos of her dance team. She's on an actual wheelchair dance team. Oh, wow. And I watched those and I was like, holy crap, you can do a lot. Okay, there goes my judgments of what you can and can't do. And then I really focused on what she could bring to the table that someone that wasn't in a chair could. And I made her sort of the cornerstone of a lot of my formations and and was able to use her capabilities and and showcase them, which is sort of where I came, the place I came from with her. But she would look at the choreography I did and and adapt it herself, and then we would sort of, in our own private sessions, work to, okay, you're going to turn this way at this time, and how do you sign and move your chair, and where do we drop the hands to do? You know, it, it was complicated, but she's she's unbelievable, and I would lead this very long, you know aggressive workout every single morning uh, where they would have to plank and push-ups and, and do cardio, and she always was there doing her own version, and I would bring an elastic band in, and we would do biceps together, and, do, you know, it was very cool. But I just, my, my story is I just, at Pearl Studios in this workshop, there was always auditions there, and uh, a few days ago, there was a long line of girls standing outside an audition room waiting to sing their 16 bars, and there was a girl in the chair in that line, and I was so happy immediately thinking the people that are in that room are going to be forced to think about non-traditional casting. They're going to have to go, oh, could we put this character that's not written as a chair, someone in a chair? And and then I thought somebody in that room saw Spring Awakening and maybe they'll say that they saw Ali Stroker and that it can be done. And, and this girl and I, this girl in the chair, we locked eyes and she lit up and she came over to me and she knew who I was. And not only was she in a chair, but she was hard of hearing wearing a, a – she was wearing a, a hearing aid. And she was like, I saw Spring Awakening, and for obvious reasons, I was incredibly inspired by, by both of those factors. And I'm able to come to these auditions now and put myself in positions that it doesn't specify an actress in a chair. And, like, that made I couldn't, – I couldn't get over that all day. What an impact Allie had made to this girl and our show in general and how many of those stories – 
there are of people that came to see you know our kids on stage inspiring them to do to go after their dreams and goals and that I I came home and told I called Michael Arden and told him that story and both of us were just it reminded us that it was bigger than than what we had done and yeah. bigger than theater even and I you know I was so happy I had that moment. It was so strange to me when people were talking about how she was the first actress in a wheelchair on Broadway. I couldn't believe it. Right? I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. But then of course it, I guess it I guess it makes sense. I, I, I don't know if makes sense is the right word, but it was just like, I remember doing research on it. I was like, is this real? Yeah. It just is so crazy. Broadway theaters are not very, you know, accessible. Well, They're, that's those true. Those old theaters are not. We had to, it's funny, it was like one of the first things I thought of when we knew we were going into the Brooks and I was like, well, where are we going to put Alex? She has to be on the main floor and they have to get a ramp because there's stairs to get in just the door. And, they, the cast would band together, and, like, when we first got into the theater, Andy, you know, picked up Allie and took her to every floor to make sure she could see the whole theater. Oh, and my like, God, I'm in a ball. It was just, like, that cast held onto each other so tight and loved each other so much. Um, and because we came from such a such a far-off place from ever getting to Broadway, you know, I've never seen a company tighter or closer. Yeah. Can I ask a, a question that I'm just, again, I hope this isn't just a total amateur question. Oh. How do you, how does choreography work? Like, how do you... <laughs> no, it's, it's an, that's in a hard one. How do you decide what a show looks like th- through dance? I, uh, my process varies, but I, myself, I get a lot of images. Everything comes from Im- images and imagery. Um, and I see everything in shots, in camera shots, whether or not it's on stage or not. So I just, I like sit down and listen to the music and I start to I start to get little wisps of of images, and then I start to just sort of decide what the movement has to say and what it can add as a character to the piece. And I do a lot of not traditional dance shows. I do a lot of of pieces with actors who don't have technique, and so like how can how can I you know heighten the storytelling through movement, especially if I don't have turns and kicks and, and things. But I um. It's uh, it all comes from the music, from the instruments, from from what that makes me feel. And usually, if I have like if I have a four minute number and I know how it's going to be- begin and I know how it's going to end and I have a thing in the middle to get to, I just get the actors in a room and we start making it and it and it comes together. I I hone in. I don't know. I hone into this like very special place in my brain that I don't think I could control ever. And and it all comes from there. I, pretty pretty darn lucky to spend that I get to go into a room with incredible actors and dancers and and make it's all playing it's like what I would do for fun in in my life and I I I get to do that for a job so yeah. it's kind of cool does does the the stuff that you come up with have to be approved by the director or is it are you just given license to do what needs to be done for dancing I mean I think it depends I always want to serve a director that's your purpose as a choreographer i do my own directing and choreographing at times when it's all coming out of your mind that's closer to what we do on so you think you can dance but i'm the the director is the captain of the ship and you're one of the entities just just like the costume designers and the lighting designers so you know you want to get it approved but there are directors like michael mayer is incredible at he hires the people that he likes and he trusts them and you you always get your first pass at everything before he'd come in and, and give you notes. And I like that. Um, I'm very excited, intimidated, scared to work with James Lapine yes. coming up on Falsettos because not only is that something that's very near and dear to his heart that he's done before, he was actually – he did the choreography originally by himself on that show. So I – you know, that, that was everything. He's, is, you know, is pretty cool. The 
we're we're at the beginning stages now. We've had so many meetings about it. We're about to go into casting next week for falsettos. Um, so if you're listening, come in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that'll be that'll be an interesting. Uh, I just wanted to like shut up and listen to him because I will learn so much from him. I can't wait to be in the room. Yeah, well, we're completely out of order, which is totally fine. I was I forgot to talk about Hedwig first, but let's talk <laughs> about falsettos now. It's completely my Sorry. fault. I was so fascinated by your you're such a smart person. No worries, we're going on rants. Oh yeah. yeah. We're <laughs> Tell me, so tell me about falsettos. How, how did that come to you? I got, I woke up one morning and I was going through my email and I said, James Lapine. <gasps> what? Oh my God. And I opened it and he was like, hi, this is James Lapine. I saw Spring Awakening last night. I really want to talk to you. Can we Skype? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like imagine getting that email. I so you're not. Like, <laughs> so we did, we, we Skyped and uh, at first I was like, "Is this a prank? Is this someone like pulling my leg?" And then and then we skyped and I was like, "Well, there you are, you're James Bond." Uh, and yeah, we just he asked me a thousand questions. He's very inquisitive about you know every bit of my life, and we talked about nothing specific. I mean, no specific show. Um, and and that was it. And then he like emailed me two days later, and he was like, "Can we Skype again?" I said, "Sure." And then he he said, "So I want to do falsettos. We were going to do it earlier. I think Lincoln Center's going to do it." And and he he essentially said, "You are the age that I was when I did it originally. I really want someone's voice like that in the room. I loved what you did with Spring Awakening. I like you. I want you to do it." Wow. And I had known that show my whole life. It's not certainly not a big dance show again. And I remember. If you had asked me if I would have done a piece like that as my third Broadway show that wasn't a huge dance show, I would have said that's not what I was going after. But then if, when that piece got put in front of me, I I, I couldn't not. I, I, I told him I wanted to think about it. I went and I put on the album. And you I, did? Not Well, I mean, I'm not going to jump at it. Not in a rude way. I was yeah. just like, let me make sure that I – I said, let me go back and listen to it and read the script and make sure that I have ideas for it. Because I'm not going to go in the room just to do the do it. And I listened to it, and I couldn't get those these images. I knew I had way too many images in my head immediately to know that I would be able to do that show and that I'd be able to bring something new to it. Uh, so, yeah, so we wrote back, and and then he was like, well, you need to meet everybody, and everybody has to preview. So I came to New York. I flew in, and I met everybody at Lincoln Center, and I met William Finn, and yeah, I met Jordan Roth, who was producing it, and... You know, so I had a, a week long of sort of meeting everybody, and then everybody said yes. And uh, and then the next day, I was at David Rockwell's talking about set design with wow. James Pine in the room and playing with models and things. And so it's very cool. I'm I I can't tell you how excited I am. I can't tell you how uh, good that piece is. And yeah. unlike unlike Hedwig and Spring Awakening, where I didn't go back and watch it, James wanted me to see the original production, which I hadn't. Um, it was done. Before it would have, you know, I was too young when it was yeah. here originally. So I went to Lincoln Center. I watched it on tape. Um, and that was interesting. It's like the first time that I really went and watched what had been done originally on something I'm going to work on. So that'll be, now I have to sort of forget all that stuff that I saw so I can do my bring do my thing and bring something new to it. But. Do you have any, do you have any knowledge of who they're using? I do. I'm not asking you to tell us. I'm just wondering if you know. <laughs> there are some. Uh, there, I don't think anybody's officially done yet because we, we're going to have auditions. And, um, but I know that there are some incredible people who are uh, Broadway, Broadway people yeah. who have brought. You know, this is a show that a lot of people hold near and dear to their hearts. And I, I think the way that it's going, people are going to be over the moon with how it's cast and will be in very capable hands. Every actor wants to do this show every actor loves this show and it's incredibly challenging so i think we're gonna get you know some pretty insane people yeah 
Um, okay, so let's let's talk about Hedwig. Yeah, incredible, incredible production of Hedwig. Um, how did how did you become involved with that? That was in, through Neil Patrick Harris. I met Neil, um, who I've done about fifty percent of my career with. I think <laughs> uh, it's crazy we haven't mentioned him yet. But um, yes. I met Neil on How I Met Your Mother. Oh. He was he was actually he was a big fan of So You Think You Can Dance. I met him at an opening night in New York, and you know he came like skipping up to me literally and was like, "Oh my god, I have so many questions about So You Think You Can Dance," and I want you know. <laughs> he was like, "I'm the biggest fan of it," and 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 then. Uh, like a few weeks later, I got a call from a producer on the show, and they said we have a dance number coming up, and Neil recommended that you come in and choreograph it, and that was like I don't know, probably seven years ago, six or seven years ago now. Um, and we worked really well together, and and he just kept asking me to do to do his award show things, and he would come and do the Tony Awards, which Rob Ashford would choreograph, and I would associate choreograph, and then because I knew Neil from other things, like we that relationship. Just started to you know to develop more and more, and uh, when Hedwig happened, he basically said, "You know what I can do so well. I don't want to get in a room with somebody that doesn't know me, and I'm already scared of having to do the heels and having to learn that show. And we only had a, two weeks to rehearse it in, and so I had worked with Michael Mayer on Smash, and I knew him from being an actor. And you know, Neil basically just put the pieces together, and Michael and I." had a great meeting and and that was that was my first Broadway show. It's so interesting. We Michael Mayer's been on the podcast twice now. We had, we had Neil, Neil uh Lena Hall. Oh my god, what is wrong with me today? And I swear to god I kept Lena in in the room that we were in for like 2 hours cuz I was so fascinated by her. I just think she's so she's amazing. And I was just thinking like these are these just big personalities, you know, like big talent, big personalities. How was that for you for your first Broadway gig? Your first Broadway gig as a as a yeah, choreographer. It was. I mean, it was it was very out of my box because I do very dance centric things. I did not know the rock world very well, so I had a band on stage. I'd never worked with a band before. Lena was trying to find the, this character that was very outside of her yeah. uh, zeitgeist, and, and Neil was very terrified because it was his come back to, to the theater scene and he had been on a TV show for nine years and was so out of his comfort zone. But we we rehearsed down at New York Theater Workshops in this, you know, in their crappy little black box. <laughs> and it felt so off the Broadway. Like, we weren't at New 42 Studios right. or Ripley Greer, like a place. It, none of it felt Broadway-ish, so it didn't, there wasn't that pressure. And then our theater wasn't, like, on the other side of Broadway. So all of it sort of felt like we were getting to just do our own individual thing. And Michael Mayer is incredible to be in the room with. Yeah. And we had, you know, so many people that were around in the original production. And John Cameron Mitchell was there and Stephen Trask and um, Ariane Phillips, who designed the movie of Hedwig the Costumes. And, and, you know, everyone just loved the show and was so cool to be around. There was no, I don't know, there was no pressure and then we opened, or we started previews, and people just started loving it, and and I think we knew it would be fine. I I, I couldn't, and then we won the Tony, and everything yeah. was great, and we were standing, I was standing on that stage when we all went up after winning the Tony, and I was like, well, this is a pretty good first Broadway show experience, <laughs> like, how are you gonna, yeah. how are you gonna go from this to the next thing? But it was different on that show, because Michael and I had to be invisible. You couldn't know there was a choreographer, and yet every single moment of that show was choreographed. Where the mic cord was, how he held it, really? how he did like it had to look so incredibly organic. But I don't think, um, you know, I would meet people after and say it was the choreographer, and 
and they'd be like, I didn't know that there was one. And then they'd think that, I thought he was making all that up on the spot. Totally. And we're like, that was the whole point. Um, because Hedwig wouldn't have had a choreographer. She had to come up with all of her own moves from watching, you know, clips of Tina Turner and David Bowie and Iggy Pop. So I watched those clips and I thought, well, if I was watching it as her, how would, what would I do? How would I, I would make my band come and rehearse with me and I would tell them they had to stomp their feet on this beat and they had to go, you know, so I had to get sort of weirdly meta with it and go into her head, um, to make myself invisible. Uh, so that was an interesting thing to know that, to that I did a great job and I made myself invisible. <laughs> and and then on Spring Awakening, it was nice because people were able to talk about the choreography. It was so much more, uh, you know, I my voice was actually in there. I could be present in there. So they yeah. were different experiences. I was curious about, you know, I had read that you sort of did the choreography for all of the Hedwigs that mm-hmm. came in. And I was wondering what it was like to do that with John Cameron Mitchell. It was, cra- that was crazy. Uh, you know, John said to me sort of on the first day, he was like, I really want to have a lot of new stuff. The previous ones, Michael C. Hall and Andrew did very, very close versions to what Neil did. I just tweaked things here and there because their bodies are a little different. But John basically said, I, I want a new move for everything. <laughs> and you're not going to say no to him. And I went in and I, <laughs> and I spent two weeks with him in rehearsal and we redid the show for him. Wow. And it was it was almost impossible for me to pick one thing from another because everything he did, I'm like, well, yeah, that looks like something Hedwig would do because you are Hedwig. There is no other version <laughs> right. of that. Like, I see you do anything. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. It looks like it should. I mean, so it was hard to pick. And we came up with all these great new moves for him. And then, unfortunately, two weeks into his run, he got hurt right. and did the rest of it on a stool. But, <laughs> um, but that was, you know, I... I didn't ever see the original production of that show. I I watched the movie a million times as a you know when I was a teenager, so it was it was cool to be in a room alone with him and a mic stand and a and a microphone and and being part of that journey of Hedwig with John. So yeah, well Spencer Lift, that's all the questions I have for you. This has been so much fun. Thank cool. you so much. <laughs> thank you for having me on this lovely Sunday morning. Yeah, thank you. In this freezing room, I feel like it's going to be a big award season for your show coming up. So we've got our fingers crossed. Well, it's you know I hope that people remember. I hope that people remember our show. It's very hard when you're closed, and yeah. we've been closed for a while. And, and you know the nominators all came and saw us, but there are so many deserving performances in our show. Yeah. Krista Rodriguez is incredible. Krista Rodriguez. I was in another podcast called The Ensemblist, and we were talking about totally. how if she doesn't get nominated, I know. Well, she's I, and incredible. we're not allowed to talk about nominations. I know. Blah 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 blah. But like, Chris Rodriguez really, truly, it, it was mind mind blowing in that in that show. She was indeed, and you know, she came into rehearsal, and it doesn't have anything to do with why she would deserve a nomination or not. But she would go to radiation every morning, yeah. and then come into rehearsal, and I, she tells the funny story of like. I would do those boot camps, and she would come in and be like, oh, well, surely I don't have to do that, and then look over and see Allie, like, pumping up and down <laughs> in a chair, and she'd be like, oh, God, all right, well, if she's going to do it, I'll do it, and if you, you know. Yeah. But she never, you know, I she was going through chemo and radiation in rehearsal, and you would never have known, and I, I think she needed the show so badly to focus on in that time, but all of that came through in her performance. It was, it was incredible, but also, it's, you know, our... Our dual performers, our voicing, and our, yeah. our our deaf and our hearing actors that play those roles together were that is a that's such a hard thing to do. But so you know we're we're closed now. There's an it's an insanely good year for revivals because I think because of Hamilton, so many new shows pushed into another season, yeah. and a lot of people were putting revivals in. So you've got you know you got She Loves Me and Color Purple and 
the Fiddler, which is spectacular. Yeah. I saw the Fiddler revival, and you know, so it's a tough season for us. But I, um, I know that what we did was very unique. We were never meant to come to Broadway with it. It was, it was never meant to get here, and that was the prize. And I mainly, and I'll say this selfishly, I want us to get nominated for a Tony because I want to perform with those kids on the Tony Awards. I want to show what we can do and what they can do. We we didn't do a lot of press. It's very hard for us to do press, and we're a complicated setup. And yeah, you know, so we did we did like. Late Night with Seth Meyers was the only thing we ever could could go and film. And I just want those – I want our kids to know what it's like to perform in the Tonys. And that's why I want us to get nominated. Can I ask you if you guys get nominated, there's money there for you guys to perform um, in the Tonys? I don't – that I don't know, but we'll make it happen. Um, we've, we've made everything happen. If yeah. we get nominated, we'll be on the Tonys. We're not going to not let that – I'll – storm the stage with our cast <laughs> if we have to. Um, but we are going to tour, and I think that would be the reason that we would oh. put money into it is so that people can see us for, for That production's going to tour? Yeah, we're going to take it on tour next year. Wow, that's so exciting. What um, cities do you know? Uh, it's not announced yet, but I think, you know, we'll, pl- we'll play the bigger ones, but Def West... We'll we'll make sure that that happens. They took their Big River on tour. They went to Japan with it. Completely. And, you know, we've had people that are interested in taking us to London, but it's it's hard because uh, British Sign Language is different than American Sign Language. It is. So to, every country has a different language. As I guess it's called American Sign Language. Idiot. American right, Sign Language is British Sign Language. It's extremely different. Their alphabet's different. Everything is different. So we've talked about taking the show there, but we would have to reinterpret it, which is impossible. I mean, it's like impossible. Yeah. It took us two years to work on the translations of these of of these songs and and the show. So that. That's, you know, it's interesting if we decide to do that, if we'll keep the, the translations, you know, in American Sign Language or not. But, um, but yeah, so Spring Awakening will go on tour, and I think, and hopefully you will see us performing on June 12th. Yeah. <laughs> we'll keep our fingers crossed. Last question. The, Def West is a, is a company that exists, right? They yeah. don't just come together for productions. Do they do seasons? They, they have seasons. They do a lot of plays because musicals are hard. Yeah. Um, they, they haven't done a musical since Pippin. Um, but they, they are a company in LA. They've had, they've had ups and downs, um, and they've, they've held together and they've, and we've thankfully been part of now this, we've, we've revived their, the interest in musicals with them. Um, but they're an incredible, they're an incredible company. I've been blessed to, to experience that world. I cannot tell you how changed I was. Uh, as a as a person getting to work on this project. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for doing this. I could talk to you all day. Oh, well. This is so fun. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah. Thank you for chatting. And we'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Thanks, Spencer. Bye. Just a reminder that tickets to our live summer series, including our May 8th show with Olivier Award winner Leslie Margarita, are now on sale. You can find links to buy tickets at our website www.theaterpeople.com That's theater with an E-R P-P-L.com Click on the Summer Series link Also, now is as good a time as any to pop over to iTunes and rate our show We cannot tell you how much we really truly appreciate it Theater People is produced by Mike Jensen and me, Patrick Hines Mike edited this episode Special thanks as always to Bradley Bean, Steve Tipton Our webmaster Keith Allen Herzog Eric Emsch, Ellen Marsh and the staff at Oswald's We'll be back in one week, because we're a weekly podcast now, with On Your Feet and In the Heights star, the fabulous Andrea Burns. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking. 